series I've decided to entitle it when is and we talked a lot about interpreting you know and looking at interpretations and interpreting certain things and and one of the questions that is asked when interpreting scriptures is or any text really is when that's one of the questions and and it seems like when is very pertinent to this portion of scriptures because Time is a big part of the, the question is a big part of the answer. So looking at when is a lot of what we're going to do. When Jesus is saying certain things and, he, and it's in reference to when. It's answering the question when. In fact, go ahead and turn to the first slide, Gary. So Matthew 24, starting in verse 14. There's three questions. And the questions are when questions. So the first question is when will these words Christ is talking about the temple, and he specifically talked about the structure of the temple. The temple, he talked about the buildings and how there's not one stone going to be left on top of the other. He's talking about the destruction of the temple. And so the first question the disciples ask him is, when will this happen? These words you're saying, when will it happen? When will it be fulfilled? I believe the, the, the portion of scriptures we'll be dealing with this morning answers that specific question. That's why I highlighted on the board there. He's going to answer the question about that temple. The temple. What about this temple? When will it be destroyed? And then there's all the two other questions, which I believe will be answered. They're relevant to today, but they're mostly going to be relevant as he starts to unpack his answers. This discourse, the Olivet Discourse, as it's called. Um, And the other two questions are, what's the sign? The unusual occurrences transcending the common course of nature of his coming, his return, Perusia. And also the third question, what's the sign of the end of the age? And again, those are two questions I want to look at a little bit more as time comes. But today I believe Jesus is answering the first question. And it's pretty obvious as we look into the, the, these uh, verses. It's pretty obvious he's talking about the temple and its destruction. More specifically, not just his destruction, but the sign. The sign is this um, abomination which we'll see in just a moment. So again, the next slides as we move right along. There's quite a bit of slides, so I'm gonna try to move a little bit quicker than usual. Um, And again, there's a lot to take in. So I will have to apologize right now with the amount of Bible verses I'm gonna throw at your faces. (laughs) There's gonna be a lot of verses and a lot of deep verses. So I recommend after today, going home and reviewing everything that I say to you. Okay, go home, look at Matthew 24. Look, I'm gonna talk, I'm gonna deal with uh, Daniel, Daniel 9, Daniel 11, um, other portions of scripture in Daniel. Uh, Daniel very much deals with a lot of um, end time things, specifically in reference to destruction of the temple. And also we're going to deal a lot with, with Revelation. They always say that Daniel and Revelation are kind of like sister books. Daniel to the Old Testament is like the Revelation to the New Testament. So there's a lot of similarities. And because Jesus is going to reference Daniel, we're going to look at Daniel. And so with this, this kind of opens up Pandora's box in way of eschatology. Eschatology is a fancy word which means the theology or the theories of end times. Um, so it looks at 
scriptures, the Bible verse, what it says about these end times. But right now we're going to look at verses 15 and 19 together. We'll read it together. Okay, so Matthew 25 or 4, verse 15 says this. So when you see, standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Okay, so there's the first little nugget, first little section of his answer. When are these things happening? We're talking about the temple. He's talking about a very much so a temple event, the abomination that caused desolation. And he's also talking about in reference to Judea. So it's not a worldwide phenomenon. This is Judea he's speaking of here. Because he says, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Okay, so there is what we see immediately and quickly. Um, just to define a few terms. Abomination. Okay, it's a foul thing. A detestable thing. And it speaks of idols and things pertaining to idolatry. So it, it is a um, twisting, a perversion of worship. It is to use what's been for holy things and using it for foul, base, ordinary, common, idolatrous things. That is what he's referring to when he's talking about the abomination. It's taking what's meant for holy, for what was meant for reserved for God, and using it for something that's common, idolatrous, um, a foul thing, a detestable thing. And we're going to look at a couple examples of how this actually did happen in history. And maybe, possibly, yet again in the future. Okay? Another word we see here is desolation. To make desolates. Desolation. Okay? Worship not going to be possible. True, genuine worship. A stop to it. To desolate. A stop. An emptying. A vacating. To desolate. So this abomination will cause the genuine, true worship that the temple was meant to, to be used for to stop, to cease. Okay, here's some parallel scriptures just to kind of get a big picture of what Jesus is talking about here. In Luke 19, Luke has a different perspective of these. First of all, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, which has happened earlier, he made mention to these things. And he says in Luke 19:41, as he, Jesus, approached Jerusalem, he saw the city. And he wept over the city. Now, when we're talking about these things, I want to, even doing the worship songs, I want to get the heart of God into these things. When dealing with these issues and these kind of scary, freaky, weird, technical issues, it's important to know that God loves you deeply and dearly. It's important to know that God loves his people. God loves his enemies. Okay, guys, I don't care how you feel about Rome. I don't care how you feel about the Jews. He loves his enemies and he wants them to repent. He longs, he cries, he weeps over them in their disobedience, their sin. He loves all people, pagans, Muslim. He loves everyone. And he wants them to repent. He wants them to know Jesus. He wants them to know the right way. And so here we see grief. He weeps. He's so sad over Jerusalem. What it was meant to be, he's sad about the walking away from God. If you had, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would, what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come... <coughs> Ram, I'm making all cough. What's something up here? Some kind of like, some kind of dust or something in the air. Okay, the days will come upon you when your enemies. Okay, when your enemies. This is important. That's why I highlighted. 
A day will come upon you when your enemies will build an embarkment against you. Again, talking about Jerusalem, talking about the enemies of Jerusalem, building an embarkment against them and encircling you and hem you in every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within the wall. Really quite a sad statement that is. They will not leave one stone on another. Again, there's a parallel of what we're reading today. No stone left on another. Because you did not recognize. Here's the, here's the reason. This really breaks my heart as well. If only they trusted in the salvation that comes from God. If only they returned to God. But because they did not recognize God. The time of God's judgment. That's what's implied here. The time of God's coming to you. You know, recognize, I'm sorry, recognize the time of God's coming to you. And of course, that is God and his Messiah. And of course, his judgment of the future. But I'm sorry, that's not implied just yet. Verse tw- um, chapter 21, verse 20 in Luke. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded. This is a, a direct parallel to what we're reading right now. Okay? So this is Luke's perspective of the Olivet Discourse. And Luke sees this. So a surrounding by armies, enemies, surrounding you will know that it's desolation. Again, the key word we're looking at today is the desolation. Okay, abomination that causes desolation. That is the key term today that we're looking at. You will know, so the army comes, surrounded, the desolation is near. Okay, next slide. Now he's talking about Daniel. He's referring to Daniel. And and for the, the disciples at the time, they're probably thinking of these verses that we're going to read here in just a moment. And they're probably thinking, but wait a second, didn't this already happen? Just like for many of us today, we're looking at the past, we're looking at the future, we're looking at now. We already talked about that. There's, there's three perspectives from our, what we're standing at today from now. And that's right here, right now, the spiritual, historical rendering of the text. But also the future looking back and is also or looking forward, and also the past looking back. For the disciples, they're thinking, but wait, didn't this happen with Antiochus Epiphanes? Didn't, didn't, wasn't there already a, an abomination that caused desecration? Or, or, or caused, didn't that already happen? And certainly it did. But again, remember, there are possible dualistic and even pluralistic, many different fulfillments of scriptures. And, and as we look at Daniel... We're going to see and we're going to recognize right away that what he's talking about here is quite broad. But here is, this, here is again, uh, almost, an, I, almost a verbatim, word for word, for what actually did happen in, six, in, um, in 167 or 168, around there, it's within a year, B.C., with Antiochus Epiphanes, who came in and basically uh, took over Jerusalem, took over the temple and started causing... He himself established sacrifice to Zeus or to Jupiter there, you know, on the altar of God in the second temple that was built to worship God. And he sacrificed pigs, which was the the normal, acceptable sacrifice for Zeus or Jupiter, which the same God, but just the Greek and the Roman um, equivalents. Um, And so here, an actual desecration and an abomination did happen at the temple. And so for the disciples and for many, they're thinking, but that already happened. But Daniel's prophecy was already fulfilled in B.C. 167. And of course, this led to the Maccabean revolt. Um, so I'm going to just read the verses just really quickly. It says his armed forces, and this is Daniel eleven thirty one. 31. His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. 
Then he will, they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. Isn't this what Jesus is talking about, Daniel? Yes, of course it is. With flattery. So he came to trick, maybe a political savvy kind of fella. He came to flatter. He will, but will corrupt those who have violated the covenant. But the people who know their God will firmly resist him. And we know that about the Maccabean. You know, uh, what's his name? Um, Matthias Maccabee and his sons came and they revolted. They stood up against this desecration, this abomination that causes desolation. Those who are wise will instruct many, though for a time they will fall by the sword or be burned or captured or plundered. When they fall, they will receive a little help, and many who are not sincere will join them. Some of the wise will stumble so that many they may be refined, purified, and made spotless until the time of the end. For it will still come at the appointed time. Now, from Daniel's perspective, because Daniel came a couple hundred years before this. So for, from Daniel's perspective, this is yet future. But for Christ and his disciples, this is the past. You know, 167 BC. This is the past. So for the disciples and Jesus, the problem is this. Jesus is talking about yet to come. It's about prophecies. So is this a kind of foreshadowing? Is this a type of fulfillment, but yet there's yet another fulfillment? Well, there has to be, because Jesus is talking about the future. He says, this is how you will know, because this will happen. These are the signposts. So the confusing thing is, for the disciples, is this already happened, didn't it? It did, but it didn't. It's going to happen again. So again, next slide. Here's how they are seeing it. Jesus, Jerusalem, about AD 33. Okay? They're looking back in time to Antioch the fourth, also known as the Epiphanes. And I'll read this little statement here because it's interesting. So he gave himself the surname Epiphanes, which means the visible God. He basically thought himself as God. He was violently bitter against the Jews and was determined to exterminate them and the religion. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? He devastated Jerusalem in 168 BC, defiled the temple, offered a pig on its altar, erected an altar of Jupiter or Zeus, prohibited temple worship, forbade circumcision on pain of death, sold thousands of Jews or Jewish families into slavery, destroyed all copies of scriptures that could be found, and slaughtered everyone, discovered in possession of such copies, and resorted uh, to every conceivable torture to force Jews to renounce the religion. Very much so seems like what Christ is going to be talking about. And again, but did it already happen? Why is Jesus talking about it like it's a future event if this already happened? And of course, this led to the Maccabean Revolt. So something to think about. So we have Daniel's prophecies way in the 6th century BC. Relatively recently, they've had this, you know, this, 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 this horrible, horrific event that led to the, this, the Maccabean revolt. And then you have the disciples. So they're looking back and they go, is this going to happen again? Is this going to happen again? And so the disciples are privy to look back at the past and see what the signs were like in the past. So they can compare it to the signs that are going to happen yet again in the future. Next slide. We're not done with Daniel, by the way, guys. And this is where things are really tricky for us. Because Daniel's going to talk about these things, which you may or may not have heard of. This gets really quite technical, and I apologize for it, but please go home and study it if you can. He's, he's talking about these 70 hiptots. And hiptot is a way how the, how the Jews would, 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 uh, would, would group a segment of years. 
for, for just like how we would um, group a week by seven days, they would, they would nowadays we'd tend to talk about like five days, one year, or one year, five years, eight, ten years, you know, a century, a decade, whatever. But back then they would have a hip tie, which is seven years. And the reason why they grouped it in, in segments of seven is because of the year of the Jubilee. It came every seven years. And, and they're also the time of the Sabbath year where you would leave the crops alone. Israel, part of their judgment was that they refused to recognize that Sabbath rest of the land for the seventh year, okay? So that's why they would break it up in these sevens, or heptats. Some people call it the 77s. But for simply sake, I'm calling them the heptats. So think of it as a group of seven years. Now look at what he says about this. Very interesting stuff. And bear in mind, most of what we see here has been fulfilled. And I'm going to show you that in a second. But also, but there is a lot of implications of yet to be fulfilled, possibly yet to be fulfilled things, which I want us to contemplate. So Daniel 9, starting verse 24, says this. 77s. So 70 heptats are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression. Again, look at his heart. He goes, you guys got to get it right. And the thing is, at this time, he did send Christ. And this is to put away transgressions, to put away, to end sin, to atone for wickedness. And that did happen. But you got to have a right heart and you got to receive Christ. And this is a warning to Daniel and his people. This is written to Daniel. He says, it's for your people. So his people, who were at that time God's people, who were in disobedience, you have a time, you have an opportunity, you, Daniel, and your people, to get this right. But there will be a time in these, you know, these 77s to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal visions and prophecies, and to anoint the most holy place. Know and understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one. Okay, this first section, this first time, the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, that happened with Nehemiah, okay? Nehemiah went and he begged the king, Xerxes, can I please go and rebuild the, the city walls? Can I please? And he says, yes. And you, if you want to know more about it, go and read Nehemiah. It's all about this word going out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem's city, basically, the walls, to reestablish the city of Jerusalem. This happened in, with, with Nehemiah. So please note that and look at it later on. So from that time until the word goes out, the decree, until the anointed one. Who's the anointed one? Well, it's Christ. The ruler comes. There will be seven sevens, or seven hiptots, seven cycles of seven, and also 62 sevens. The reason why this is distinguished that people believe is it took that time, the first sevens, to actually build the wall, and there was a time of waiting, which was the next section, the 62 sevens. So you have 49 years, and you have 434 years. In the Jewish calendar, which we're dealing with at this point from this reference, is 483 Jewish years. Now, from our perspective, because we go back to about 80s and BCs, that's not the Jewish calendar. That's the Gregorian calendar. So the way how we look at it from, from this Western perspective is the Gregorian years. So you have to convert it. And there's, it's not hard. It takes some work, but you can look. And it's very much so agreed through most scholars who look into this that that conversion for 483 is simply 476 Gregorian years. Okay, so that's what we're thinking about. 476 Gregorian years. It will be built with the streets and trench, but in times of trouble. Again, if you know anything about Nehemiah, it was built during the time of troubles. Nehemiah was constantly being persecuted and tried and put up again. So he's, talks, he's describing years before Nehemiah what Nehemiah is going to do. After the 62 sevens, okay, so after the completion of all of these, the 62 seven, the anointed one, Again, Jesus will be put to death and will have nothing. 
Okay, so in timeline, we're thinking of these this 476 years from the from the decree of the rebuilding of Jerusalem to the cross. Anointed one be put to death. The people, the ruler who will come, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. These events come afterwards. So again, Daniel is talking about something that happens after the anointed one puts to death. The people, the ruler who will come, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. This thing, this decree, this thing that you want to do, this rebuilding, it's going to come after the anointed one is put to death and it will be destroyed again. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. Now, note this one seven. It's a seven-year period. One seven, one heptad. So one seven-year period. This is very confusing. This is where I think a lot of debate, interesting debate happens amongst Christians. Where is that seven-year period? Where is that seven-year period? Because there's another seven-year period after Christ is put to death and after destruction. In the middle of the seven, three-and-a-half-year period, he'll put an end to sacrifice and offering and at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation. Again, that word, the abomination that causes desolation. Until the end, this decree is poured out on him. A lot of information, a lot of numbers, but I think it'll make sense as we go on, okay? Just, just try to get it, simply. Next slide, please. So again, let's add to this, this diagram I put up. Now we have to add some more information here. So we have Daniel's prophecies around 6th century B.C., and then you have now 44 BC, which is when um, uh, um, the decree went out to build the walls. And we can see this in Nehemiah 2, verses 1 through 8. Okay? Then you add the 476 Gregorian years. Gregorian, you have to convert it because we're looking at BCs and 80s. We're not looking at the Jewish calendar. We're dealing with the Gregorian calendar here. And we arrive to 8033. In fact, some people go as far as looking at the actual month day. And very specific, and, and, they, and they give Daniel credence to how very specific it is to, to the point where people of Jerusalem should have looked on the math and been able to say, well, this is when the 91 is going to come and be put to death. Just when that actually happened in history, in AD 33, with Christ. Okay? So if you look at that, and you consider what Jesus is talking about, there's yet still a future abomination that caused discretion. What is it? Now, I one offer one, and this is a very much so a, you know, a credible answer to the question, what then is going to happen? And we know in AD 70, the second temple was destroyed. We know that because it's destroyed in AD 70. History tells us that. And so you have this kind of holy or unholy trinity, you know. Like in the Revelation, we have like the Antichrist and the beast and the, and the false prophet. They see that as the unholy trinity. And here we have an unholy trinity with Nero Vespasian and Titus, who are all three responsible for the seizing of Jerusalem and the structure of the temple. 8070. So is this what Christ was talking about? And again, in that, as they, they it was suggested, um, uh, Josephus wrote a lot about it, and he was very political about how he wrote it, very careful because he's writing for Rome, and he didn't want to cause himself any problems. But he made it very clear that what happened there was a stop to worship. They came in, they, they hated the Jewish institution. They want to stop the temple. They want to destroy the temple, and they, and they did it. The temple is destroyed. So they put a stop to worship. There's no doubt about it. So is that what he's talking about? Is that what Jesus is talking about? 8070. Is it something that's in our past? Next slide. So from our perspective, do we see it this way? If you look back and look at 8070 and say, well, there it is. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's what he's warning. And it's very likely that is what he's talking about. 
And we're, 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 we're going to give that credence. We're going to say, yeah, Jesus, that, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the structure of the temple. But there's a, another option that we have to be open to. And that is the option is this. Is there yet a possible third temple? And yet another abomination that causes desolation. Is it possible? Is what Jesus is saying, is it purely from a past perspective? Or is there some future yet elements to happen? And that is a question I think we, need, we could fairly ask ourselves. We may agree with it. We may not agree with it. That's fine. But is there yet another possible future third temple that will be, again, established and made with the idea of peace, but yet will be cut short? Another abomination that will cause desecration will happen. And so here we are in the 20th century, and there's some really interesting things that's happened in the 20th century, especially from the way we see these scriptures. Um, Before the end of World War II, in the early last century, most Christians would believe in a literal rendering of scriptures. Most Christians, before World War II, would see things like the millennium and the rapture and, and things that we're looking at, Matthew 24, Daniel, Revelation, as being literal. So it was hard to, make, to, put, to put it together chronologically, especially concepts like the millennium. Because Revelation talks about a literal thousand years. What does that mean? But the problem with that is we've had a lot of weirdos. But Jesus did tell us the weirdos were going to come, like the Jehovah Witnesses, and say that, well, look, here's Jesus. There are many who have ascribed or have attributed the Third Reich and its theories, or Third Reich and its theories, with Hitler, and Hitler believing that he possibly was a Christ as well. And so I put a little statement here. This is summing up some research I did. It was after Adolf Hitler's unsuccessful attempt to implement a thousand-year reign. So again, it was very common that people were waiting for a real future thousand-year reign. And some, I don't know if this is true or not, but some have attributed Adolf Hitler and his attempts to bring in this thousand-year reign. False Christ? False Messiah? Well, Jesus said in the end times there will be many false messiahs. The Vatican stepped in. Yes, the Roman Catholics stepped in. And they issued an official statement that the millennium claims could not be safely taught. This is after World War II and after the, the devastation of Hitler. It was the Vatican who came in and, and issued a statement that the millennial claims could not be safely taught at the related scriptures to Revelation. Basically, he said, no longer will we take a literal millennium perspective. They were the ones who introduced a millennialism, a non-literal interpretation of because they thought it was unsafe. When you start teaching these things, you start guessing and trying to figure these things out, you get weirdos like Hitler. And we're in cults like Jehovah's Witnesses coming about. So they say Revelation and apocalypse, you know, apocalyptic renderings of scriptures, Daniel, Matthew 24, Revelation, should only be understood, it says here spiritually, but it should be allegorically. So they say no literal rendering of the text, only allegorical. But the problem with that, and we see this also coming up with a liberal influence of the church worldwide, especially in denominations where there's a watering down in allegorizations of scriptures. And we see in the church calling today, what about this verse? What about this verse? And on heavy duty moral issues, and what has happened in a lot of denominations is that they've watered it down and watered it down and watered it down to the point where there's no meaning in the word of God anymore. So do we, are we happy, are we comfortable as Christians to have no meaning in the word of God? 
If, if there's no meaning, if it's all watered down and it's to be taken as well, whatever, then how do we teach it? How do we learn it? How do we give it to our children? So the thing is, and this is the thing that Cornerstone struggles with, is like, how do we get meaning out of the Word of God? Now, we recognize that there are spiritual interpretations. I already said last week, hey, I treasure spiritual interpretations. But I also welcome the idea of dualistic or pluralistic, i.e., but is there yet a future element? Is, there, is it possible that there are future, from this point, from where we're standing today, fulfillments? Is it possible? And I think it's really smart and really safe to ask these questions. Is it completed in the past? Is it just for today? Is there future fulfillments? And, and my challenge today is to get us thinking. Is what Christ's saying here? Is there, is, there, is there elements? Is there a hint of yet future fulfillment? Now, next slide. There, when you go and you read, if you go look on Google and you type in Daniel's 70th week, you will get a million of these charts. <laughs> a million. There's so many ways of looking at it. I just happen to grab two. I just grabbed two. I'm not even saying these are right. I'm just saying let's just look at these and think about them. I'm, I'm not going to put my signature on any of these things and say these are right. But they're interesting. They actually do point what I'm talking about. They do suggest what I'm talking about today. And so you have two possible views of this last week, the seven, this last seven, this last hiptat, this 70th week. And, and, and there's the future way of looking at it, and there's the past. So it's happened in the future or it's happened in the past. The top represents a future rendering of it. So we, they both agree with 44 B.C., Daniel's prophecy being fulfilled with a decree to build in Nehemiah. And they both agree of the weeks coming leading up to AD 33, Christ and the cross. Where they differ is after that. The top one here, which looks at a future seven week, says that we're living in the church age just now and we're waiting. Now put a question mark on the rapture because you know what? There's debate, and I'm not here to debate that, because is there rapture, is there not? And even if there is a rapture, some put it at the beginning, some put it in the middle, some put it at the end. So, okay, let's leave that for now. But the point here is where that circle is. They believe that seven-year will, will, will still happen in the future with a tribulation time, an actual seven-year tribulation time. Three and a half years, three and a half years, totaling to seven. And then Christ's second coming, and then a literal millennium, and then judgment. This person below would probably disagree with that, and they put the seven-year period right after the cross, within, within, you know, within 100 years, within that same century, with, uh, the, you know, with the seven-year um, Jewish revolt, which is when Rome came with those three guys, Nero, Vespasian, uh, and Titus, when they came and they seized Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. And they can divide it up. And that. So the question is, is the top one right? Is the bottom one right? Or... Are they both right? We've already seen from the, from, the, from the disciples' perspective, right? We've already seen from the disciples' perspective that already a disgrace happened uh, not even 200 years ago from their perspective. And yet he's talking about a future one. So what if they're both right? What if, yes, there's a dualistic or a pluralistic fulfillment? What if this did happen in, in the past, but it's yet going to happen in our future? So what if these are both right? That's the thing I want to challenge today is to think, like I did last week, is this now Maybe we should ask ourselves, did this happen or will this happen? You know? Next slide. Now, I'm totally completely out of time. But look at this. Take note of Daniel 11 in your notes and go home and look at this. Daniel 11 is a beautiful portion of scripture. 
And it talks about the end times. It talks about the resurrection in that, those end times. In those days when the righteous and the unrighteous will be, will be resurrected. The righteous will be resurrected to divine glory. And the wickedness will be resurrected to shame. And that's what he's talking about here. But look at the words. I'll highlight some words. And first of all, in, in verse 1 here, it says, I put the verses up because I know it's going to be quite confusing, so I want to put the verses up for simplicity's sake. So verse 1, he talks about a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of the nations until then. Jesus, too, in Matthew 24, talks about, we'll talk about a distress such as not happened beginning of the nations. So we've got to ask ourselves, for the things that happened in the past, were they so bad that such devastation has never happened before and no devastation will ever happen again? So if you think it happened possibly if AD 70, well, what about what Hitler did? Was that not a greater atrocity? Many historians will say it was. So is there yet still another devastation that's even greater than Hitler's? A time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. So it has to be the greatest devastating event. Number two, it talks about the earth will awake, some to everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting contempt. As I said, this is in reference to the great resurrection, which is reserved for the end times, the very end. In verse six, um, this, is, uh, this is actually an angel talking to another angel, <laughs> saying, how long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? So when's the fulfillment? In verse seven here, it goes on to talk about fulfillment. Interesting thing, it talks about a time, times, and half time, which is, Commonly interpreted as three and a half year period. So three and a half, three and a half, seven year amongst that time, that 70th week possibly. Okay? Next slide. I know I'm rushing, but please go home and study this on your own. He goes on to say, again, verse 9, he replied, Go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time. Of the end. When is the end? Is he talking about the end of a time? The end of the temple sacrifice and the beginning of the church? Or is he talking about the, the end end? I believe he's talking about a time of the end of this world situation before the resurrection, before God's judgment, but leading up to it. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. Again, this is a time of resurrection, the time of judgment, the finality before God's eternal kingdom. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes creation is set up. Now here's some math. Go figure these things out. This is, this, is, this is meant to inform people. So he goes, pay attention, look. The time the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desecration, of course, that word again is set up. There will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits and reaches to the end, which is 1,334 days, which both of these are just slightly like, like less than a month after being exactly three and a half years' time. Again, three and a half years, seven, those, so something about those time frames we need to kind of figure out what does this mean? As you go, as for you, go your way to the end. You will, this is for Daniel. So Daniel, but you don't have to worry about this because you're going to die. <laughs> okay? For as for you, you will rest. You will pass away. You'll die. You'll be in the grave. And then at the end of the days, you will rise. In the days, you will rise again. Has the resurrection happened? I don't think so. My, I, I know people in my life who love the Lord are dying still, and they haven't res- they're still in the grave. We're still waiting for the resurrection, and that's the thing. A lot of what he's talking about here is talking about not just the end of the of the of the, the time of the dispensation of the Jews and the beginning of the church. He's here talking about something that's connected deeply and personally to the resurrection, the end, the establishment of God's eternal kingdom. You will rest, but then you will rise. Has Daniel risen yet? No, he hasn't. 
to receive your allotted inheritance. Next slide. And no, I'm not going to read this. I put it up because I'm very, very overzealous. Very overzealous. But go home and compare Revelation 13. This is a strange scene of total abomination. We see in references like, for instance, here we see 42 months. Which, what's 42 months? Three and a half years. Why are these things coming up over and over and over again? Why are these things keep coming up? Again, I believe Daniel and Revelation are very similar. Here we see total desecration, or total abomination. People worshiping the dragon, the beast, the Antichrist, worshiping the beast, ascending up an image in honor of the beast who has wound, was wounded by the sword and is, now lives. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the of the first piece, so the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. This is very much so in keeping with this abomination. And by the way, look at the technology that's required. Look at the technology. How is it possible? Anytime around when Paul or um, John got this vision revelation, which is about 80, 60-ish. Well, actually, it was supposed to be after the desecration of, of Jerusalem. So this is believed to be 80, 80 possibly, 80, 90. He was very old. So anytime after this, how, and if this is after 8070, then again, we're still looking for a future fulfillment, but how is it possible, tech, think about technology today, how is it possible that, a, that someone or some th- institution, some thing can establish something that breathes, okay, I'm worried again, the second beast was given power to give breath to the image, so life to the image of the first beast. So it was able to be animated. Are we thinking about technology here? Automation, yeah? So that the image could speak, again, technology, animation, and cause all who refuse to worship the image to be killed. How is this, how is this image, how is this idol in, in that day and age have the technological ability to do these things? Maybe we're on the cusp of technological advancements so that this could happen in the future. I don't know, something to think about. Go home and think about it. I might be wrong, I might be right. But go home and think about it. So we have a lot. Daniel 11, Daniel 9, Revelation 13. Crazy stuff in relation to this abomination that causes desolation. Next slide. And yes, I'm finishing. I'm like, so sorry. Let's just read these last verses really quickly. So, and this is back in Matthew 24. This is us finishing it up. And I, I'm sorry for the doomsday message today, but we have to get through these things. It will be continued. God loves us, guys, and God wants the world to know him. He wants to spare us from judgment. He wants to spare us from trials. He wants to spare us. The whole point of this is to get people to wake up and see God. Okay? So let's love God. Let's not be fearful of these things. Let us embrace God's promise and eternal life. So he says here, so when you see staying in the whole place, that abomination that causes desolation, which we've talked a lot about this morning, spoken through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will take no place, or will not take place in the winter or on the Sabbath. Now look at, notice this one. Again, like I said before, and Jesus is saying it now. This is Jesus' words in Matthew 24. For then there will, be, there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. So this, he's, this event he's talking about, this time he's talking about, is of the greatest suffering, the greatest pain, the greatest persecution that has ever happened from the beginning of the world until this time, and never to be equaled again. 
So we have to consider that into our equation. When we're thinking about other great devastating moments, 8070, BC167, World War II, etc., etc. Now, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, for the sake of the church, those who have been chosen, those days will be shortened. So again, I ask, past, future, is this now? Most churches, groups, are very dogmatic about the way they see things. I don't know if you guys have felt this or not, but I've not given you my opinion yet. I'm not giving you my view. I might have implied it subtly, but I'm just giving verses here. And I'm also giving a variety of opinion. I've talked about the Vatican and their view in millennialism. I've talked about millennialism and future literal interpretations. We've talked about past fulfillments, immediate fulfillments, future fulfillments. So I've talked about a lot of things, but I'm getting it up to you guys to handle God's word responsibly. Please handle God's word responsibly. Think about these things and think about what do they mean for us today.